Gary. What is up, guys? Welcome back to episode four of Money Talks Hockey. I'm your host, Matt Lauren, currently back up at school. Get to see all my friends, been skating a ton, just doing good overall right now. And it'll be fun to see how things play out from here on. We have a lot to talk about hockey-wise. We are going to do once a week from now on. Going to be recording on Sundays and dropping new episodes on Mondays. But first, let's get right into it. Last week on Saturday, the day after I recorded last, the Columbus Blue Jackets sent Pierre-Luc Dubois and a 2022 third-round pick to the Winnipeg Jets for Patrick Laine and Jack Roslevic. Dubois had requested a trade and was really unhappy in Columbus. Both Laine and Roslevic were unhappy in, in Winnipeg, and Roslevic was holding out and had also requested a trade. I think this trade is mutually beneficial. Winnipeg gets a very good two-way center, and him and Mark Scheifele make a great one-two punch. Columbus gets an elite scoring winger, and he is a great power play addition. However, he is not very good defensively and is a one-dimensional player. It'll be very interesting to see how Patrick Laine gets along with John Tortorella, as Tort sometimes be very fiery, very abrasive, and... I don't know. Like, either Torts will love him or Torts will hate him. Line is a restricted free agent next year, and they still have a lot of time to deal with contract extension. He will most likely be on a line with Max Domi. He landed in Columbus on Friday after getting his visa and is should be in line to make his debut on Tuesday. I think his quarantine ends either today or tomorrow. Roslovic already made his debut. He's from Columbus, gets to play for his hometown team, and he signed a two-year contract worth uh, $1.9 million annually. And overall, it'll be interesting. Columbus has talked a lot about Dubois. Yarmo Kekalainen, the GM, says they don't know why Dubois requested a trade. And Tortorella admitted beef between them. Dubois' agent, Pat Brisson, actually went out and asked Columbus to stop talking about his client. And Dubois still in quarantine and should be making his debut with Winnipeg next week. But, yeah... I personally think Winnipeg won the trade, but who knows? Trades take a while to determine who wins them, and I could be very wrong about who wins this trade. Moving on to the big hockey story of the day, the Rangers put defenseman Tony D'Angelo on waivers. D'Angelo had 53 points last year and signed a two-year bridge deal worth... $4.8 $4.8 million annually, and now all of a sudden, after six games, he's on waivers. Well, something happened last night. The Rangers lost in overtime to the Penguins, and in overtime, right before Sidney Crosby scored the OT winner, 
Tony D'Angelo and Alexander Georgiev had a miscommunication behind the net. It allowed Pittsburgh to keep possession of the puck in the offensive zone, and Crosby scored a few seconds later. D'Angelo and Georgiev have not had the best relationship ever since they were in Hartford in the 2017-2018 season. Well, after the game, D'Angelo and Georgiev got into a fight, and Chris Kreider actually probably threw a punch. I don't know, hasn't been confirmed yet, but it's more likely than not, in my opinion. And the Rangers decided to put D'Angelo on waivers this morning. It's also important to note that, according to multiple sources, Tony D'Angelo has been mistreating rookie defenseman Keandre Miller. Miller happens to be black, and D'Angelo happened to get suspended when he was in juniors for eight games for once calling his teammate a racial slur. So I'm sure it was a bunch of racist shit. Pretty fucked up, if you ask me. Can't go around calling someone the N-word. Especially your own teammate. Like, come on, Tony. Yeah, this... D'Angelo has a lot of off-ice shit that he needs to get under control, whether it's his politics. He happens to be a huge Trump supporter. And I... Just wish he kept politics out of sports as well as people on the other side kept politics out of sports. Politics have no place in sports, period. And he is very active on Twitter, even non-politically. And there's rumors that out there that he has a burner account. I don't know if they're true or not but could be likely, could not be. And as well as getting suspended in junior for calling his teammate a slur, his rookie year in Arizona, he got suspended for three games for pushing a ref. He also, in the first game of this year, he took a holding penalty. And when he went to the box, he mouthed off at the ref and slammed the penalty box door, earning him another two minutes for unsportsmanlike. David Quinn afterwards decided to sit him for the next two games as punishment. And he's just a cancer. I lost D'Angelo. I hope most of the Rangers fan base lost him. And it's just a shit show. I think that the Rangers have really been struggling. Shesterkin doesn't look good. Zibanejad doesn't look good. Laugh had a cold start. He scored the overtime winner on Thursday night against Buffalo, but really hasn't been producing other than that. And while Panarin has been producing, Kako's looked good. Buchnevich has looked good. So has Fox. Like, it's tough, especially in a division where they're 2-4-2 two, two with six points. But 
it feels like every single game in the East Division is going to overtime. So everyone's getting loser points. I think the Rangers should focus on development this year and not worry about playoffs. But let me tell you, Ke'Andre Miller has been buzzing. He had two assists last night in the Pittsburgh game, including an absolute beauty of a shorthanded play with Kevin Rooney. It was a two-on-row. Rooney got it. Miller came in flying. Rooney passed it to Miller, and Miller passed it back to Rooney, who scored. And he currently has four points in the first eight games. And this kid, I tell you, he's going to be a stud. He also looks very good in his own end. Last night, Gensel, Jake Gensel had a breakaway. And Miller came absolutely flying through the neutral zone into his own zone and made a play on Gensel's stick before he could get a shot off. But overall, the Rangers been struggling. I think that things need to change. And if we have a bad year this year, I want David Quinn out. Plain and simple. It's really hard to see as a fan all this drama, all this struggling when everyone thought we were going to be relatively solid this year. But, yeah, it's tough. Moving on, former Arizona Coyotes GM John Chaka got suspended until December 31st, 2021 because of all the... I think Chaka was just... He wasn't a good GM. He didn't do a good job in Arizona. And I wonder if and where he'll get a job after... His suspension's over. Anyway, the Washington Capitals have been buzzing. They are 6-0-3 with 15 points in nine games. And even without their Russians, they found a way to keep on getting points. It's just incredible what this team is doing, and they're very fun to watch. Vitek Vanacek, though, that guy's the real deal. He's playing lights out. He is 5-0-2 right now with a 278 GAA and a 918 save percentage, including 39 saves, I think, last night. Just ridiculous. And he was kind of forced into it. Like Tim Sonov got COVID. At the start of this year, he was the number three. Hank went down with, with his heart stuff. Samsonov tested positive, so he's the starter right now. And I would not be shocked if he takes over the starting role when Samsonov returns because he's just been playing amazing, just buzzing. And their power play, man, that's also been buzzing. Their power play is at 44.4%. And what the crazy thing about it is... Ovi missed a bunch of games because he was in quarantine. He did come back for last night's game against the Bruins and scored the OT winner. And he looked solid last night, but it'll be good for them to also get back Kuznetsov and Orlov. I forgot to mention to you all that I have my first podcast guest on today. 
I have former minor league goalie Jamie Phillips. He played in the Winnipeg Jets organization for a couple of years. And he was super kind enough to agree to come on the show. So let's get right into it. I thought it was a great interview, and I hope you guys all enjoy it. All right, guys, I am pleased to welcome my very first podcast guest, a former seventh round pick with the Winnipeg Jets, former starter at Michigan Tech, where he is currently the goalie coach, a veteran of over 25 AHL games and almost 100 ECHL games, Jamie Phillips. How are you, Jamie? I'm, uh, I'm good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for coming on. What are you up to these days? Not too much. Uh, I'm the goalie coach at Michigan Tech this year. While I'm back at school, uh, I get my master's. That's kind of my retirement life. So that's really it. Just working with some of the younger generations, trying to get the, trying to win a national championship, really. That's awesome. What are you getting your master's in? Uh, my master's in kinesiology and integrated physiology. Oh, no way. That's pretty cool. So... You grew up in Ontario, and at what point did you decide to go the college route instead of major junior? Um, that's a good question. I was drafted into the OHL. I was drafted to Sarnia pretty early in the draft, and I really, I mean, I wanted to make the OHL. Um, so I went to camp and everything when I was 16. Uh, didn't make it, got cut, and I kind of just said, if I can't play the all five years, then I don't even want to. I don't want to bother with it. And then I just kind of decided, let's just go the college route from there. I guess it was a bit of a gamble. Um, I mean, usually most 16-year-olds don't make it. So I'm not, I'm not really sure why I even had that attitude. I just I wanted those five years just in case. And then I had opportunities uh, later on in junior to, to sign with OHL teams. But I kind of, my parents stressed the importance of the, ed- of edu- the education side. And then I knew that I really wasn't like, I wasn't like a superstar when I was 16, 17. So having some more time to develop and have an extra four years of college probably was the best thing for me. And it turned out that, you know, that was what I needed. I totally hear that. Like, I don't know. It just makes sense for a lot of people, I guess. Like some people, OHL makes sense. Others, NCAA, like it just works like that, I guess. Yeah, it's a tough choice. I mean, that's that's the advice I usually give to young kids. Like if you're a stud when you're, 16 17 like you're a high ohl draft pick like you know that you're probably gonna get drafted in the nhl they probably go to the o i mean i i'd say go to the o it's probably the quick it's the quickest way to get to pro but if you're someone that is either on the fringe or is going to need a little more time to develop go to college because you can always leave college early you don't have to be there for four years and you know what if you say you go to the ushl or bchl and you play really well and sign out of out of junior even better but you give yourself an extra four years to develop and for a lot of guys that's what they need yeah especially for goalies like I feel like we all take a lot longer to develop I guess yeah it does it takes it takes time and everyone's different Uh, but yeah usually on, on average goalies usually develop a little bit later yeah for sure uh what do you think the best advice is for a player trying to make it at the division one level um oh that's a tough one i'd say just time management i think that's something that's emphasized 
it's not emphasized enough, I should say. Um, when you, for a lot of guys, you know, if you come when you're a 21 year old freshman, you haven't been in school for a couple of years. It is difficult to kind of get back into the swing of things, depending on what you're studying. Difficulty is going to be harder or easier. Uh, but just being able to kind of manage your time with, you know, exams, assignments, you know, your social life and your, your athletic requirements, just being able to balance those into a way that's healthy and as, you know, stress-free as possible is really something that a lot of freshmen struggle with when they first get to college. Usually they get better as they go along, but it's something that if you're not prepared for it, it's going to hit you hard. Yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, I go to a prep school and the way that they stress time management here is just amazing. Like, I mean, I would not have the time management skills that I do now if it wasn't for being here at Vermont Academy. Yeah. And, and that's an advantage of going to prep school is it's a, it's a mini college atmosphere. So you get, you're sort of exposed to it. Whereas guys that play junior, you know, you're going from a billet family to, and you're, you know, billet family or 21, you haven't been in high school since you were 18 and now it's you have to kind of do everything on your own and you have all these responsibilities and it's it is a little bit different yeah for sure and Michigan Tech like what made you decide to commit to Michigan Tech was it like a school that had a lot of interest early on or whatnot yeah so they Michigan Tech was one of the first schools I, I spoke to um, when I was going through the decision process, I had, I had quite a few options. The one thing that really drew me into Michigan Tech was at the time, the goalie coach was Steve Shields, former NHLer. Um, when I came on my visit and when I spoke to them over the phone, I really just liked the way that he is approached to developing goalies and just kind of everything he said. And I'm sure it was his job to sell me on the school and he did a good job selling me on the school. But to just to have someone who played 10 years in the NHL, someone who has the mindset of, you know, of growth and development and doing what I need to do to get me to the next level, that's kind of what really hooked me on it. And unfortunately, he was only here for my first year, but that was what brought me into the door. Yeah. I mean, having former pro like Shieldsy, I guess, is huge. Yeah, and you can look at – and Shields is at Michigan now, and you can see, you know, the kind of development he's had with a lot of good goalies that are going to Michigan, and, you know, they're having success. And, I mean, he's a really good goalie coach, and that was that was the biggest reason I decided to come here. Yeah. Strauss, man, one of the best undrafted goalies uh, in college hockey right now, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, he's having, he's having a crazy year. I know they have um, – uh, Portillo, the sophomore too, was a draft drafted player. You know, I'm sure he's getting a lot of work. They have a lot of good guys in the pipeline, and yeah, that's you know, part of good recruiting and it's part of good development. Once you get those guys, yeah. And you got any good stories from your time up on the Upper Peninsula at Michigan Tech? Like good hockey stories? Um, well, it is a hockey hockey area, that's for sure. I mean, there's there's a ton. There's a there's a lot of stories um it's a tough it's a tough one I guess it depends what kind of story you're looking for I don't know just like college experience hockey experience like what was that like I guess pretty pretty amazing I mean our arena here at the John McGinnis seats about six about six thousand sixty five hundred and when that 
when it's full to the brim and the standing row goes standing uh, only goes like four rows deep. It's a pretty crazy experience. I think probably one of the most memorable games was um, my junior year. We had the home opener against Michigan and Michigan, like the big, the big, like Michigan doesn't really travel up here hardly ever. And so obviously we're a Michigan school. There's a kind of a rivalry. There's a lot of students here that are from downstate that grew up as Wolverine fans. So it, it was probably the most packed that I've ever seen the rink. And we ended up sweeping them that year. Um, so to be able to sweep a good team with a lot of good guys, they had guys like, you know, Kyle Connor and like cop. Um, they had that, I think it was that CCM line, the cop, cop, Connor, Mott line. So yeah. no comfort, comfort, Kyle, Mott line. So they, I know, can't they remember were, off the top of my head. Yeah. So they were a fantastic team. And to be able to sweep them at home, you know, with above max capacity fans, what, and then it was just like a crazy, crazy time, crazy game, crazy celebration. It was, uh, that was one of those ones where it's like, you know, you're never going to forget that feeling of being able to sweep Michigan at home. Yeah, for sure. What did you do to prepare for those absolutely huge games against an amazing team like Michigan? Honestly, I didn't do anything special. My routine that I had was been the same since I was about 16, 17 years old. And it was the same routine that I had until the day I retired. Um, I was never big into changing things. And I was never big into tweaking just because maybe it was a more important game. We were playing a top team or we we're playing a bottom tier team. I felt that every single game was equally as important. And as long as I prepared the same every single game, that would bring some sort of consistency to my routine and to my performance and that way I could hopefully play as well as I could night in night out and not have these highs and lows and for the most part you know it worked pretty well especially in college I was very consistent in college I think that was my biggest asset that I had uh, which is straight up consistency Um, and so that was one of the things that helped me get that was just be consistent with your routine um, don't get too high, don't get too low. Just because you're playing Michigan or just because you're playing Alabama doesn't mean that you have to do change things. Yeah, for sure. Consistency is huge, super important. And I mean, like, what's your uh, biggest takeaway from your four years at Michigan Tech? Like, if there's anything uh, that you could go back and change, what would it be? Or anything like that? Um, I, I, it's, it's tough. Go, go, things to go back and change. I mean, there's a lot of goals I'd like to go back and <laughs> and change. I mean, obviously, hindsight. I would. We lost in the NCAA tournament in overtime um, to St. Cloud. And that, you know, if I could go back in time and made that save, I would have 100 times out of 100. But just the way it goes, it's just two on ones. And sometimes they beat you, sometimes they don't. Um, I didn't really have any regrets or anything other through my college career. I mean, I tried, tried to play my best, showed up every single day, you know, did what I needed to do in the gym and, and in the classroom. And I was fortunate enough to go on and play pro. So I don't really have any sort of uh, regrets or anything. Yeah. So you ended up signing with uh, the Jets after your senior year. Uh, and you ended up playing two years in their organization what was it like playing in uh, the AHL? What was life like there? It was pretty good. So I was fortunate enough to be part of a good organization, one that like they really valued 
development and treating their American League guys um, in a way that motivated them and kept them hungry to reach for that next level. Um, and Winnipeg, you know, it's a low-key, fun city. A lot of people don't get it. You know, like people, it gets a bad rap all the time because it's smaller and it's like one of the coldest places in the world. Uh, but it's actually a lot of fun. And I think the organization knows that not a lot of guys really like, you know, are jumping at the bit to go play there as they would in some other cities. So they make sure that all like all the facilities and everything is like top notch, even for the American League team. Um, so they treat it as like an NHL team, even though we were in the A. And I thought that that was something um, that was, was a huge privilege. And then just to be able to be like that close to the NHL. Um, night in and night out and to be with guys that were NHLers like I played with Pavlik, Hutchinson like all these like Comrie like all these guys that are you know either current NHLers or longtime NHLers um, you know that's a big privilege as well. And would you like interact with the NHL guys on a regular basis because I know you guys were in Winnipeg playing out of the same arena like what was that like? Uh, Not really we would our schedules kind of like they didn't match up. So basically yeah. whenever they were on the road, the Jets were on the road, the Moose would be at home and vice versa. So we actually didn't really have a whole lot of interactions, but for guys yeah. that were called up, it was pretty easy because it was just a quick walk across the hall and then you're in the NHL. So that's another big convenience of having your American league team in the same city as your NHL team. Yeah. Call-ups and development is very smooth and streamlined. Yeah. And did you like uh, living and playing in Winnipeg? Because, I mean, like you said, it gets a bad rap all the time, like even with the Line A Dubois trade that just happened. I I loved it. I had a lot of fun. The people of Winnipeg are great. Um, you know, the weather is cold. It's actually super cold. Other than the weather, uh, I loved every little bit of it. Um, the organization's good. The fans were great. Everything about it was just, uh, you know, it was just a really fun, fun place to play. Yeah. And like the upper peninsula, it isn't much better weather-wise, is it? It doesn't get as cold, but uh, like Houghton, this, the town that Michigan Tech's in is actually one of the snowiest cities in America on average every wow. year. So that that's not super fun, uh, but it doesn't get to that like minus 40 degrees um, that it gets in Winnipeg. It usually suffers yeah. around like, you know, seven seven to seven ish but it snows every single day here yeah during your two years in the a you were up and down with the coast team what's life like in the coast i mean riding the buses Uh, all that stuff yeah i i think it's it it's not as bad as i think it used to be you know for a lot of guys that maybe their experience of hearing what the coast is hearing guys maybe they you know, spin chicklets guys are in their thirties, forties that played in the coast back when it was like a pure fighting goon league. Um, it still has that physical aspect to it, but it's a lot less of a grind. What makes it a grind is more the schedules. I mean, it's, it's, you know, you're in the minor leagues, budgets are not big. So you're not really taking planes everywhere. You're taking, you're driving a lot of buses. You're playing the same teams a lot of times, like in your division, usually you play each team probably a minimum six times. But for some where you're playing them, you know, 12, 16 times a year, and then you're adding in a lot of bus rides on that. That's what makes it a grind. But there's a lot of good cities in the East Coast League and a lot of great organizations that, you know, go above and beyond to kind of, you know, make it make it a really fun experience. And 
um that's just kind of is but there are there are horror stories and i'm not gonna lie and sugarcoat it like there are some crazy things that happen but for the most part like i i really liked it you know you live with your team your team are all in the same apartment complex so you get to grow really close with the guys and you have that sort of camaraderie at the rink and at your apartments and that's something you don't really get in a lot of places where you're you know in the american league you live separate so you don't really see your guy, your friends, it's other than like when you go to the rink kind of thing, your teammates. I mean, when you go there until you go to the rink. Okay. And uh, that's really nice, I guess, like being with the guys nonstop, like kind of goes back to like the college days, I guess, where you guys are all living together, I guess, like one big family. Yeah, a little bit for sure. It's, it's like that that's sort of you know it's a little different because now you're getting into pro where you know guys yeah. are older and guys are married but you know i was fortunate enough in the teams i played on like guys that are older and married like they did a good job of younger guys like me when we first got to the league you know coming over for dinner and you know like game nights and all these like little things that just kind of like make it fun and you kind of forget about the fact that you play four games in five nights in four different cities yeah. and all that thing, your body hurts and all that because, you know, you get to come home and you, you don't have to go to class. You don't have to worry about exams or tests. Instead, you can just go and play, you know, sellers of Catan and have a nice dinner with your friends and your teammates and their wives. Like that's a fun, fun thing. And that's one like the thing, like the things I miss most about pro is just like that kind of, you know, enjoyment that's a great experience just doing it for the love of the game and all that stuff you said you had you had some horror stories would you mind would you be willing to share one um yeah it depends i'm not really i'm not gonna say anything really bad ones are going on the bus i think um one of the times when i played in jacksonville we were a new organization and this wasn't anything to fault the organization it's just the like a lot of the supplies and stuff just they just didn't come in it's you know, these things it took a long time to get there just because they were it was slow from whoever they had ordered it from so we just kind of you're almost kind of like winging it for the first little like start of a season and that's kind of a weird it's one of the downfalls of going to like a brand new organization in a new city is if that stuff doesn't come in on time there's not a whole lot they can do because it's not like it's already there um and then, so, and then, like, the one thing is, in the, actually, even in the American League, too, is, like, sometimes practice rinks are not very good. Uh, I've had a practice rink where <laughs> the net was basically in the hash marks. Like, that's kind of how far away from the boards the net was. So, that was always fun to have a pregame skate where the net is at the hash marks and then go play at the big rink where everything's normal dimensions that evening and have to try to, like, resettle all my angles and stuff that's brutal so, yeah that that kind of inconsistency is kind of a bummer but yeah that's just the way that's the way it goes sometimes when you're in the minor leagues yeah that's tough and i mean jacksonville compared to manitoba two absolutely other ends of the world so yeah, yeah that's... it was and that's all that was a long to get called up and sent down from Winnipeg back to Jacksonville and back and forth was always a it was always a fun fun two-day trip how many times did you uh go up and down that year I think it was like 14 times oh, yeah brutal. so I, I got used there was a couple where I would be sent down 
So like the flight, the way the flights always matched up, I'd be sent down, have to stay a night in the Chicago airport, like O'Hare um, hotel, and then fly in the morning to Jacksonville. And there was a couple of times where I'd do that. I'd get to Jacksonville, I'd practice, but something would happen and I'd have to get back on a plane and go back to Chicago and then back to Winnipeg the next day. So there, I had about three times that year where I was sent down for less than 24 hours. <laughs> so a lot of That's air miles. brutal. But yeah, after Jacksonville, you uh, spent the next year with uh, Florida and Reading. Uh, what were those two experiences like? They were kind of the two opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, Florida is always a top contending team in the league. And we were when I was there too. We played really well. Um, and then I was actually loaned out to Reading. Their Carolina that year just decided that they wanted to have eight affiliated goalies. And I was the, the lone guy in the American League contract. And the other ones, the other guys were on NHL deals. So I was kind of, uh, there was just not enough room once they picked up the, the next guy and guys got healthy. So I was loaned to Reading, and Reading at the time was a really, really good team. They just hadn't clicked, and so they're out of a playoff spot. When I got there, uh, we kind of started, we kind of like popped off a little bit, and we went on a run, and we missed playoffs by like one point. The team we needed to win in overtime lost in overtime, so we, we missed out by one point. But, you know, you go from a team where every night you're expected to win to one where like you're just grinding and fighting for a playoff spot they were two like two different sides to the sword, but they, I both, I had a lot of fun in both those organizations. Yeah. Uh, and that's when you live in Fort Myers, Florida, it's, it's a pretty fun place to play. <laughs> yeah. Fort Myers is kind of sick. Yeah. Very, very fun. So yeah. After that, you decided to go overseas, play in England. What made you decide to do that? And what was, uh, what was that experience like? Um, I knew that I didn't, that I was coming close to the end of my playing career. I just didn't want to play anymore. So I said, like, let's go to Europe and just have some fun. Maybe, maybe it re-sparks my excitement for the game, my love of the game again. Um, I, I kind of hesitated to make that decision a little too long. So a lot of the other leagues in Europe had already filled up their rosters. Um, so when I was looking for a place to play, Coventry spoke, they reached out early. Um, I said like like wait a little bit let me find try to find somewhere else because it wasn't I didn't want to go to England I wanted to go to a different league um, couldn't find anything went there and I had so much fun when I was so much fun like the the culture was great the league was great sorry some of the best players like some of the best like guys that I've ever played with like great teammates um, I really really enjoyed my time and like, I recommend if anyone. You know, anyone that's kind of wants to go to Europe or is looking for somewhere to play, like that's a, it's a good league and it's a fun, it's a fun league to play in. How's the hockey in the English league though? Um, it's about, it's better than the East coast, but not as good as the American league. It's kind of in between. There's a lot of players that, especially the top teams, a lot of former NHL guys, a lot of guys that played in like the Swedish hockey league and KHL that oh. are kind of on their way out. So there's a lot of like high skill guys. And there's a lot of guys that played a couple of years in the coast that they want to go to Europe or they want to do whatever. And so, so they go onto that league, but it's, in my opinion, it's better than the East coast, but it's a little, it's definitely under the American league. That's not bad actually. Like, I don't know. I just thought that the English league wouldn't be as good as like 
some of the other European leagues? It's well, it depends. It's not really as good as some European, like it's not as good as the KHL, the Swedish Hockey League, or Liga in Finland. But if you watch like some of the teams that make the Champions League, like Belfast last two years ago, like Cardiff two years ago, like they beat some some of the top, some of the other league, you know, other, other Champion League Champion League teams from different countries. Yeah. So it shows that those teams can play. Unfortunately, when they run into like, I mean. Cardiff ran into Cardiff or Bell, one of the two teams ran into Frolunda and they oh. kind of just got walked over. But that's a big, you know, that's a big league league. That's Frolunda. Yeah. So it's yeah, you can't really compare those at all. And uh and you you don't regret going over there at all, do you? One second, sorry, I got a phone call. I don't know if that's popping up on the Zoom. Let me just put it on silent. No, I don't regret going over there at all. I mean, it's a great life experience. I met a lot of good people. Um, it was just part yeah. of my life. Like I knew that I didn't wasn't going to play hockey that much longer, so yeah. I don't have any regrets. Yeah. Did you guys get a lot of fans in Coventry? Yeah, we did. We had a really small arena. Um, we averaged a couple thousand fans and I, I mean, we can only fill up a few thousand as well, but we yeah. had really dedicated and loyal, loyal fan base. So really yeah. great fans. Yeah, that's good. But yeah, I mean, at that point you decide to just call it and then go back to Michigan tech. Like, do you, are you, are you happy that you walked away when you did? Yeah, I think so. I think everything kind of worked out. Um, like Corona kind of ended this my season. Like I finished up in the East Coast, and Corona like ended it. So that was a bummer that it was kind of ended abruptly. But I'd already known that I was going back to school. That I was going to retire probably from like from like January that year, up uh, January of 2020. Like I knew that I was done at the end of the year. So other than the fact that it just ended a little earlier, it would have been nice to you know go to playoffs and like make a playoff push. And I'd rather just get eliminated and ha- kind of end my career that way. than yeah. kind of just the games were just season was just canceled. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I, there was no surprises and it was, everything was planned. I had the exit strategy set up and uh, everything was yeah. went, the went away, went the way I expected it to. Too many people had their careers like just end like that with COVID. I just feel bad for all of you guys. Yeah, it's a bummer for especially for a lot of guys that weren't expecting it. For me, like I knew that I wasn't gonna play hockey this year. So in the end, however it ended didn't really matter as much as it for some guys who, you know, didn't want it to end and now they're scrambling for jobs and their teams either canceled or they couldn't find another job. That makes it tough for me. Like I I knew it was over, so I I, I don't really have any complaints or anything. Yeah. And what's it like getting into coaching? Like, did you find that transition hard? Uh, not really. I mean, I've been coaching goalies for a long time since I was probably like 14 or 15. And so now I just do it at the college level. And so there's really, there's really no difference other than these kids are college goalies. And it's not like I'm working with 11 or 12 year old kids yeah. who are ready to work on the fundamentals where it's just coming in every day and, making sure guys are feeling good, you know, 
we're taking care of like little minor adjustments yeah. and just really just letting them kind of develop and play on their own. And I only need to step in with my feedback if it's something that I think is a major issue. Other than that, like I kind of, I make sure that unless they need something from me, I, I let them kind of figure it out on their own. I find that that's one of the, the best ways to approach it. Yeah. I don't want to overcoach the guys. And what's the day, a, like a day in the life, like of a college hockey goalie? D1. Uh, well, it's, it's different for the Corona this year, but it's in a normal year. In a normal year, it's usually wake up, go to class, um, probably have a morning workout, go back to class, come back to the ring for practice. Practice is done. Go study. Yeah. That's really it. Yeah. There's not there's not a lot of flair or dramatics to it. It's school and hockey, school and hockey. And yeah, you get to have your fun Saturday after the game once your your weekend's over. Hopefully you sweep. That's a really fun weekend. Otherwise, it's yes. a miserable Saturday night. Other than that, and then, it's the way it goes. Yeah. And uh, how often do you guys do you get out with the goalies? Do you guys have goalie practice every day? Every or? yeah, every day. Uh, Monday through well, actually every day. Uh, I don't travel on the road. I'm in I'm in charge of the guys that have to stay back that don't make the travel squad. So yeah. I run those practices. But when we're at home, Monday really through Saturday, if you include pregame skates, I go out with the guys every single day. We do tracking and skating and just like the basic stuff that we need to do, and then we throw in some drills if we need to you know, address something that's a glaring issue. Other than that, we just make sure the guys are feeling good, tracking well, and then, and then they have practice. Yeah. And you've dabbled into the nutrition field. Can you explain what you do in that and how that's going? Yeah. So I, I've always been in nutrition, like human performance. And last year I started a nutrition coaching business um, it's basically, I just work with athletes, a lot of hockey players right now as well, where we just kind of just dial in what to eat, when to eat in order to elevate their performance to the next level. And nutrition is something that it's for some people, it's easy. And then for others, it's really confusing because there's so much different information out there. So my job as a nutrition coach is to kind of weed through that misinformation and information to find out what works for each of my individual athletes and so that they are performing their best throughout the season throughout the off season you know whether it's to gain muscle or lose weight or just to straight up just you know be beasts on the ice or the court or the field or whatever the sport is um, that's what my job is and so yeah I'm fortunate enough that you know I've done Victoria Nutrition is the, the business I run it's it's doing pretty well we have a lot of great athletes we have some guy we have a guy in the NHL all the way down to, you know, the SPHL. Um, we have, you know, women in that women's league, NWHL right now. We have players in there. Um, crazy, like strongman football, NCAA. We have, like, I have a lot of athletes, all these different leagues. And so I, I get to see a lot of people. I have to work with a lot of really awesome people every single day. So I really like to be able to do that. Yeah, it's so important. And nutrition, recovery, taking care of your body, like – especially when guys are younger, I feel like it's more like overlooked. And as you get older, like that's when people decide to, I guess, take it more seriously, but 
it's something that should always be taken seriously, I guess. It really is. And it's tough when you're young, like even when you're young and your parents are cooking for you, if you're really, if your parents aren't kind of uh, like aware of like what's healthy, you know, the, you know, there is a difference between having post-game McDonald's and having post-game, you know, some sort of like, you know, just like rice and some shredded steak and some veggies. Like you're, it, it is different. So it, that's why it's tough for the young players to kind of, you know, you're not, you're not cooking for yourself, but when you yeah. guys, especially for someone like you who's at prep school or guys that go for juniors, you know, that's when it's kind of starting to like really important where your bodies are developing. You're starting to, you know, go through puberty. You need to fuel your body to fuel your performance. And that kind of mentality in terms of healthy eating in a way that's going to make you the best athlete you can be and the healthiest athlete you can be needs to carry over throughout the duration of your career and as well as throughout the duration of your life because you know we only have one body we need to take care of it and what we eat you know the saying is you what we are what you eat and that saying is literal because everything we eat doesn't get it's just broken down and it nourishes our body so if you want to eat you know crap you're probably going to feel like crap but if you're going to eat like healthy food you're probably going to feel good because that's the way and that's what your body craves and that's what your body is designed to absorb and break down and so my job is to make it as simple as possible for my athletes i don't, I don't work with the younger players uh, for younger players i work with their parents um and it's not like hard and fast programs it's more like guiding their parents so they know like you know help like make healthy food choices have a diverse pal- like plate all these different things but for the the older athletes I work with, we get more specific. I make sure that I do all the heavy lifting so that they can just focus on eating and playing. And I don't want them to have to focus on anything else. So the ones that really want to know more, I, I always supply them with more. And the ones that are just like, look, just tell me what to eat. I make sure I do it. I make sure that I do the work so that they eat and they feel good and they perform well. Yeah. I mean, different for everyone, I guess. And yeah, everyone's different. Some people need a lot of food. Some people need a little food. Some people have allergies or, you know, intolerances or preferences and financial differences. And so there's always different things that, that carry into it. And again, like that's my job is to distill that down for the athlete or the parent so that they can do what you can at whatever budget or lifestyle you have in order to feel your, feel your best and play your best. Yeah. So, yeah. Jamie, before we wrap up, uh, where can my audience, uh, my my listeners, where can they reach you at? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, at jamiephillips30. I believe it's at jamiephillips30. Uh, I'm always down. I always answer any questions, hockey-related otherwise, or nutrition at victorum nutrition or at or victorumnutrition.com. You can reach out to me there too. And I answer all questions, all DMs and emails that, that I get. Um, and if you're interested in help from either a goalie side or nutrition standpoint, just reach out to me. I'd love to help anyone. Yeah. So guys, it is Jamie at Jamie Phillips 30 on Instagram or Victorum Victor EM nutrition. Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate you coming on this, as you know, is my first interview and I really appreciate you just coming on. Yeah, no problem, Matt, and good luck with everything at school and with your podcast.
thank you so much. Good luck with uh, everything, school, your guys' season. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Once again, just wanted to say thank you to Jamie Phillips for stopping by. I really enjoyed the chat, and I'm hoping to get more guests on in the future. Up next, Matthew Kachuk, man. Last Sunday against the Leafs, at the end of a 3-2 loss, he fell on Jack Campbell's head during a battle. Flames goalie was pulled, extra attacker on, and it looked intentional to me. He denies it was, but given his history, I'm not so sure. Sheldon Keefe, the coach of the Leafs, called it a non-issue, as well as the Flames coach. Jack Campbell is out week to week with a leg injury that he suffered earlier in the game. And the next time they played this past Tuesday, the Leafs won 4-3. to And at the buzzer, Jake Muzzin flipped a puck at Matthew Kachuk because Muzzin was pissed off over what happened on Sunday. And Kachuk lost his shit and fucking jumped Jake Muzzin. It'll be fun to see what goes down between them in future meetings. The Flames are just pretty feisty. And last night, the Flames played the Habs in Montreal. The Flames won 3-0. Jacob Markstrom had a 37-save shutout. And Johnny Gaudreau had an absolute snipe on the power play. Jake Allen played well, but such a dirty hit on Jesperi Kakaniemi. It was clear that the hit was to the head. Dubé also left his feet to hit him. It should be probably four or five games, especially given the fact that Tyler Myers got nothing for hitting Yoel Armia last week. Kevin Fiala, a guy on the wild, got a three-game suspension for boarding Matt Roy on the Kings on Thursday night. It was right to the numbers, clear. If that obvious of a board was three games, that obvious of a hit to the head should be more. But who knows? The refs have a bias against the Habs, and it's just really frustrating for Habs fans. Anyway... Penguins GM Jim Rutherford resigned on Wednesday due to personal reasons. Assistant GM Patrick Alvin has been promoted to interim GM. The resignation was not due to health-related issues. Rutherford is an older guy, probably in his early 70s. But apparently he had a falling out with ownership over trading Chris Letang. The Penguins have been... On the downswing for a couple years now. Their window's over. They're now just a bubble playoff team. They're not what they used to be. I mean, yeah, the Rutherford was the GM for their back-to-back cup wins. But he has made a bunch of questionable decisions. It'll be interesting to see who ends up becoming GM. There's been a lot of names flown around, including New Jersey Devils GM Tom Fitzgerald. However, the Devils did not allow him to be interviewed. And hopefully Penguins make a good hire, get them back on track. 
couple of minor signings. Defenseman Yannick Weber signed a one-year $700,000 deal contract with the Penguins. And defenseman Madison Bowie signed with the Blackhawks for two years worth $725,000 AAV. Just two minor signings. Don't have much to say. Don't really know anything about either of those guys. Last night, Alexi Hepaniemi scored his first NHL goal last night for the Panthers. He scored the OT winner, and he is the fourth player in NHL history to score the OT winner in his NHL debut. And the second player in just over two weeks after Karel Kaprizov did it against the Kings on opening night. The Colorado Avalanche are getting really hot right now. They are 6-3-0 with 12 points, and they've won the last three games. They are currently playing the Wild and are up 1-0. And Miko Rantanen is on a tear. He has scored seven goals in the past eight games. And the top line of McKinnon, Landis, Gaga, Rantanen is the best line in the NHL right now. They beat Minnesota 5-1 last night. And... It was just absolute dominance. Like I said, they're one of the best teams in the league. Don't have much more to say about them. I also want to send my best wishes out to Kamloops Blazers player Kyrell Sapotic. He was paralyzed in a snowboard accident. He is 19 years old and put up 27 points in 43 games last year. Also, prayers out to AJ Quetta the Massachusetts high school player who was paralyzed in a high school game Tuesday night. And I feel like everyone in the hockey community has rallied us around, especially to AJ Quetta. The Bruins put up his jersey on Thursday night on their bench. And it's nice to see the hockey community rally around these types of guys. These types of guys on these types of guys when they need it. Also, want to send out best wishes to Charlie Capalbo. He's a goalie who's currently fighting cancer for the third time now. Like I said, cancer is a bitch. Fuck it. And you'll kick its ass again, Charlie. Best wishes out to all you three guys. Anyways... That just about does it for this episode. I hope to see you guys all next week, and peace out, guys. Money Matt signing off.